Episode 19 of the podcast is with legendary strength coach Mike Boyle. I've followed Mike for a very long time and he's one of the first podcasts that I listened to and also one of the first websites that I use, which is strengthcoach.com. Mike talks about a number of different things, including sports-specific training and his views on that, his approach with footballers, his pet peeves in terms of speed training, and then his biggest tips to build relationships. I'm delighted to say that this episode is our first sponsored episode. We have teamed up with Soccer Science, the Soccer Science Conference, which is going to be on the 21st of June 2019 at Hotel Football in Manchester. It's a great event. I went to the event last year down in Bristol and they have some real top speakers. So this year they've got a keynote from Gary Neville. They've got Shane Murphy from Man City, Paul Bradley, who's a a consultant at Barcelona, and also Matt Allen, who's at Spurs. So a really top lineup of speakers. For you to get your ticket, there's an early bird offer that runs until the end of March. So you need to head over to the Soccer Science website and use code FFF10 at checkout to get 10% discount. There's also a link at our website. So if you go to footballfitfed.com and go on the network meeting and event tab at the top, there's a link to the Soccer Science Conference there and you can go through and get your ticket. Please share this episode. Really appreciate everyone that shared all the episodes so far and the, the audience is growing. This is a top episode with Mike. I really enjoyed speaking to him. He's someone that I've wanted to speak to for a very long time and it was great to finally chat with him and I thought he was really open with the way he talked and and we had a good laugh through the podcast as well. So I hope you enjoyed the episode with Mike and please share it with anyone who you may think will benefit. Welcome to episode 19 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today I'm at Absolutely delighted to be joined by. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time out. I've followed your work for a long time. Um, I've listened. You were the first podcast to listen to the Strength Coach, uh, Strength Coach podcast, and your website was on the first websites and. Um, bits of information out on the internet that I followed and that got me into strength conditioning. So I really appreciate all your work you put out. Well, thank you. I'm glad it's just nice to know there's people out there on the other end that are actually listening and reading and taking it in. Oh, that's great. Mike, if anyone hasn't seen the work you do, can you give a little, a a brief breakdown of, of your experiences and then what you're currently doing? So I always think a brief breakdown is hard. I've been coaching for 38 years, believe it or not. I am almost 60 years old. I started out as a college strength coach in the U.S., working really with every sport. I was the only person, and we had football, ice hockey, men's basketball, soccer, women's field hockey. I don't even know what else. We we had a lot of of sports. We had 300 and some odd athletes, one strength coach, and – in the 90s, I worked because, again, a lot of these jobs were kind of part-time, didn't pay very well. I worked for the Boston Bruins for 10 seasons while I still was at Boston University. So I was still in the collegiate and the professional environment at the same time. I've worked with our women's Olympic teams in ice hockey and in women's soccer. I spent a year in California actually working with our women's Olympic soccer team and with the LA Galaxy and MLS. In 2012 and 13, I was... Um, 
in charge of strength and conditioning for the Boston Red Sox and Major League Baseball and got a World Series ring. So I've had a pretty broad range of experiences over the last 38 years. And lots of different sports covered there as well. Yes, almost all of them. Yeah. So how, what's the main things you see across your career? And obviously you've worked with a, a large amount of athletes there and players. What are the biggest changes you've seen in, in strength conditioning or just in physical preparation or whatever we want to call it? Um, well, I think the biggest, it's gotten much, much smarter at the higher levels. So there's less of the kind of meathead, back squat, bench press, deadlift kind of stuff. And there's a lot more. I always kind of joke that Mark Verstegen and the old athletes performance days made us performance enhancement specialists. And, uh, and suddenly, you know, we went, my career was, I used to be the weight coach back in the good old days. That's how people would refer to me. He's a weight coach. He runs the weight room. Then I became the strength coach. So suddenly now I wasn't in charge of the weights, but I was actually in charge of using them to get stronger. Then I became the strength and conditioning coach, which means I was now in charge of people getting stronger and getting them in better condition. And then I always said, Mark took us the next step to being performance enhancement specialists, but I still consider myself a strength and conditioning coach. So I've seen it go from uh, all different types of dumb, bodybuilding dumb, Olympic lifting dumb, powerlifting dumb, to people developing, and I don't think sports-specific programs, but people developing programs for athletes that weren't based on another sport. In the beginning, all we did was imitate. We just looked at what somebody else was doing, and we said, okay, let's do that. Now we look at what the athletes are doing and saying, what would be the best thing that we could do to help them? So I think that's been the, the process for me. And I've seen you, you just touched on it then a little bit, but I've seen you put a little bit of stuff out recently on, on sports-specific training, and it seems to be a term that more and more people are using. But what's your views on that? Uh, you know, if you watch the clips, you know my view. I think it's <laughs> in terms of, um, I think it's a way, and I get it, if you're, I always say, if you're in the Premier League and you've got to market to a manager who doesn't really understand strength and conditioning, then you need to, to sort of promote this illusion that what you're doing is very specific to the sport of soccer or to your football. But uh, the, the harsh reality of this is that I always say, you know, getting stronger is the same for everybody. Getting faster is the same for everybody. Preventing injury is the same for everybody. You may have specific things that go wrong in your particular sport. Like if we look at soccer, football, we're going to see hamstrings and groins as being the primary problems in the men's side and probably hamstring groin and ACL being the primary problems in the women's side. And we might look at it and think that upper body strength is probably not as important as it is in American football, but there isn't some super unique thing in every sport. My, my favorite quote, I use it all the time in my talks is from Marco Cardinale, who is an Italian, but who I think, I don't know what, I forget what his actual title was, but he kind of conducted the performance enhancement for the London Olympics in 2012. And when he spoke over here at a conference, he started out his talk by saying, your sport's not different. You just think it is. And he said that was the conversation that he had to have over and over again with every sport coach that he dealt with in the Olympics. This idea, you know, cause everybody, no matter who you talk to, I don't care if it's cycling, swimming, field hockey, football, wrestling, everybody's like, no, I need a program that's specific for my sport. 
And the reality is maybe I always think 80-20 is reasonable when you think about Pareto principle and the 80-20 idea. 80% of it's going to be very much the same and 20% of it's going to be different based on maybe the nuances of that particular sport. And I, so it just drives me crazy when people do silly sports specific things, particularly, you know, it's like you look at, you know, somebody like attaching a, you know, a, a bungee cord to somebody's leg and having them do kicking motions. You know, I would look at that and think one thing I can tell you for certain is that a soccer player goes through a lot of kicking motions. He does not need to go in the weight room and do lots of kicking motions because he's doing that. There might be 20 other things I can think of that would be way more important in the weight room than those, than that. So that's kind of my, my nutshell version of sports specific. Um, obviously over, over in England, the, the approach that players, um, or the understanding that players have of strength and conditioning is probably a little bit behind the times and some other sports, like it is gradually catching up. But what was your experience with the athletes or the, more importantly, the soccer players over there in terms of the women's soccer and then the, the LA Galaxy? How did the players respond to the S&C program? Did they understand it or was it something you had to um, teach them? It was something that we had to teach. The women are much more responsive. And this is what I talked about with sports specific. The women are more responsive because the women want to get faster and the women don't want to tear their ACL. So I always think it. what's really sports specific, it's sports specific marketing, not sports specific training. How do I get, so if I, you know, if someone hired me in the Premier League tomorrow, then I'd be saying, hey, we're going to put a huge program in place to prevent hamstring and groin injuries. And it would be the same huge program that I've put in every place else. But the way that I would market it to that particular audience would be by, I'd be going after what their hot button is, whether it's from a player or from a management standpoint. And I think that's the biggest difference is that you need to know, and I hate to say it, and I, I said this a little bit in, the, in those little kind of uh, minute Instagram clips, you need to know what people want to hear. But you also need to know what the truth is. And there's a big difference between occasionally, I think it's okay to tell someone what they want to hear if it gets them to do what you want them to do. But, and the other thing, and the reason I think that people, whether it's in, you know, in the Premier League in England or any place else, the reason people reject strength and conditioning is because people come in as quote unquote, and this is, it's changing very drastically, thank God, in the last decade. But, you know, they'd bring in an Olympic lifter or a power lifter, and he'd want to put in an Olympic lifting or a power lifting program. And, and people would look at that and think, this has nothing to do with soccer. And I would look at it and think, yeah, you're probably right. doesn't have a lot to do with soccer. You know, I don't know if that, you know, I don't know if your soccer player needs to be doing back squats, you know, with, you know, 200 kilos. I, I don't think that's necessarily, but you'd be looking, your rugby guy would want to do that. And only because it's accepted in rugby and it's not accepted in soccer. I would look at both of those sports and say, I would fundamentally train them both in a very similar manner. And neither guy would be doing heavy back squats or cleans from the floor. Cause those aren't things that we do anymore, but I wouldn't look at that and say that that was rugby specific training or that was, soccer specific training, I would just say, that's good training. This is the way I think. If someone said to me, if you asked me to train you tomorrow, I'd try to design the best program to train you that I could. And I wouldn't be asking you, well, what sport do you play? 
I would just think, and I, I might ask you actually, because I'd want to know you in a team sport where you run. But I think if you're in a team sport where you run, training should look fairly similar. And I've heard you speak a number of times on, on back squats and uh, your views on that. So any of the listeners that aren't, aren't aware of that, they can go and search for your videos on that. So I'm not going to get you to speak about that too much, but you can touch on it a little bit. Because what I wanted to ask you was, what, what were or what are the areas of focus of you working with players? So in terms of exercise, in terms of movement selection, when you've been in it, in clubs like like LA Galaxy and the, and the women's soccer, or if you went into a club right now, what would be your target areas in terms of movement and, and exercises? Well, I mean, at the same, that's what one of the things I said in one of those Instagram clips. The target movement is always the same in terms of everybody needs to push, everybody needs to pull, everybody needs to do a knee dominant movement, everybody needs to do a hip dominant movement, everybody needs to do core training. So when we're putting a program together, from a, a purely weight room standpoint, we're going to do those things. But then we've got to look at everybody needs proper warm up. Everybody needs power work. Everybody needs speed development. And so, again, you know, you keep coming back to sort of the 20% that might be different versus the 80% that's going to be the same. And for us, when we were working with the Galaxy, it was, I mean, at that time, and this was early, this was 2004, so it was a long time ago. But just getting a good dynamic warm up, like everybody did the same Brazilian warm up, you know, this little like dance sort of routine where they they skipped and they did leg rotations and they did all, and it was like, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. Although that's not bad, that might be the last part of what we do will be kind of similar to that, but we're going to focus a little more on dynamic flexibility in the in the beginning, and we did Spider Man's and walking straight leg deadlifts and backwards lunges and really basic dynamic flexibility stuff the interesting thing was the reaction of the players was they thought it was a leg they were like we can't do a leg workout like this before we practice i remember guys saying i said this isn't a leg workout this is a warm-up like you guys we're gonna go in the weight room and do a leg workout but this isn't it the leg workout's gonna have weights this is you guys doing stuff with body weight but they were so unfamiliar that stuff has changed and i think the quality of warm-up has changed but you still see and in, you know, in some of the European videos, you know, guys standing on BOSU balls. And I mean, you still see a lot of silly stuff and you don't see enough good stuff. Like for me, I just want to see if I can just get our guys and say, hey, I want you to get really good at one leg squats. And I want you to get really good at one leg straight leg deadlifts. And I want you to get really good at push ups and really good at chin ups. I'd be very happy from a soccer perspective because I would have covered my push, pull, hip dominant, knee dominant. And then I want to get good at some of the basics of core training, some anti, um, anti-extension and anti-lateral flexion, anti-rotation type of work. And there's some guys doing some great stuff. Like I've met the guys from Tottenham do an amazing job. They've incorporated a lot of this stuff into their warmups and they have different warmups every day. The guys at Arsenal do a really, really good job. Um, I had friends that were at Roma that have since left, but they did a really, really good job. And, and they're all different backgrounds. You know, the Arsenal guys were Exos guys. The Roma guys were one Exos guy and one NBSC guy. And um, the Tottenham guys were guys that I didn't even know. They just came over to visit and they showed me what they were doing. And I was like, this is great. But they were integrating, you know, you know, hip prehab and plyos and core training and speed development. And it's all this stuff that's got to be sprinkled in throughout the course of the week. 
But it's really nailing down the fundamentals, isn't it? That's what you're saying. It really is. It's like looking like for me, when I took over with the Red Sox, they had had a huge number of injuries the year before. We had 11 guys that were post-surgical at spring training. So we had 11 surgical or post-surgical rehabs going on at spring training that year. And my only goal in spring training, well, two goals. One was to get everybody in the weight room twice a week. And the other was to get everybody warming up before they did anything. So I wanted everybody to foam roll. I wanted everybody to stretch and do, then do some type of dynamic warm-up. And it was amazing. We got that part done. And the next year at spring training, we had zero post-surgical players at spring training. And they weren't grand goals. But what ends up happening is that guys go out and like, and it probably happens the same way in soccer. Like, I don't want a guy to go out and start kicking a ball if he hasn't warmed up. Because if you ask me a good way to hurt your groin, I'd be like, you know, just get, get yourself out on the field to pitch, whatever, you know, and start trying to drive some balls. That'd be a good way to hurt your groin because you're going to take a muscle that's not warmed up and you're going to ask it to do something at a really, really high level. If you said, what's the ideal way to do it? Okay, I want that guy to grab a foam roller. I want him to work all around his hips, around his low back, around his thoracic spine. Then I want that guy to go out and go through a really good stretching program. Then I want that guy to go through a dynamic warm-up. Then I want him to pick up the ball. Soccer is very caught up in the ball. Everything with the ball. We want him always using the ball. And I get, you know, they're, they're always like, it's so, the skill, it's, you know, the, the, the ability with the ball is so critical. And it, I don't argue that point. But you still need to be prepared to pick up the ball. And so to me, I'd be like, I need, you know, whatever. Like if the coach said, we're going to pick up the ball at nine. I'm like, okay, I need everybody here at 830. And I need a half hour before guys get the ball in their feet. And in the same way, if I was the guy, if I was the manager and I was in charge, I'd be like, okay, everything starts, you know, we're going to start with, you know, Rondo type stuff. You know, short, quick. And, you know, where no one's going to drive balls, you know, no one's going to come out like, and I don't know if guys do things that are this dumb in soccer, but, you know, like, I don't know if guys will walk out and just start practicing corners. But in baseball, we had guys who would show up at eight o'clock in the morning and go in the batting cage and start hitting baseballs. And, you know, literally get out of their car and walk into the batting cage. And I was just like, this can't happen. No wonder we have guys with oblique strains and things like that. Guys cannot go from car to, you know, throw their stuff on, walk in and start swinging a baseball bat. That's a good way to get hurt. So I think it's very commonsensical if you look at it as a non-soccer person. And yet for some people who are sort of entrenched in the culture of soccer, it would seem like, you know, what are you talking about? So I think, I think that's... That, I think that's a really interesting point. Because uh, um, I think a lot of, a lot of clubs and... Certain clubs in particular have had coaches that have been there for a lot of years and you sort of fit in with their way of working. But taking that outside approach brings something very fresh. And, and like you said, it's like time as well. Sorry, we got a little cut off there. Yeah, no problem. No problem. You said, you said take a fresh approach. Sorry. Yeah, just a fresh, it's just a it's quite fresh to hear you talk about that and, and say that um, for someone from the outside of football to have a look at it and, and bring in a fresh approach and, and put like a common sense approach to it as well. 
Yeah, well, that's what you know, and that's what I found was really interesting with baseball. Because I came into baseball, obviously, and, and I literally hadn't played baseball since I was 12 years old in in little league over here, you know, in the U.S. And suddenly I'm at whatever 54 or three, working in Major League Baseball, and you just realize how much it, it goes in. Some of the quotes that I really love, I love the quote from Lee Cockrell, "Creating Magic." What if the way we'd always done it was wrong? And I think sometimes you, there's so much stuff that you do because you've always done it before and nobody ever looks at it and says, well, what if that wasn't right? Because there's just sort of this assumptive process that, well, this is the way we've always done it. And we saw that in baseball in, in lots of different areas in, in nutrition and in, um, you know, warmups and all these areas where guys were allowed to do. You know, this, well, this is, you know, the, the worst thing, I always think the worst thing that can be happening is to have a manager comes in and says, you know, this is the way I did it when I played. That is the worst rationale for anything, no matter what it is, is this is the way I did it when I played. Because you've got someone coming in like me who's almost 60 years old or 50 years old or whatever it is and saying that 40 years ago, this was state of the art. And not being able to sort of introspectively look at themselves and say, and this goes back, and I will admit to being a little bit ignorant about soccer, but the the Italian manager that smokes the cigarettes who was saying, you know, we don't lift weights. Um, I think it was Chelsea. Was it Chelsea? Not it was, we, yeah. It was. Yes. You know, but you've got a guy like him. And again, he may be a great soccer manager, but he's a banker. He, he's an Italian banker who's now running an English Premier League team. And I would have to think that his his scientific background for fitness, strength and conditioning, nutrition, probably isn't what it should be. And again, that would just be, and I, maybe I'm wrong, he might be, in, you know, I've met some of these guys who are incredibly well-read, self-taught, but then I realized if you've got a guy who's smoking cigarettes on the sidelines and saying that, you know, we don't lift weights, because there's no weights on the pitch. And then I'd have to conclude that that guy's probably missed a few decades of fitness. Um, and, but these are the people that end up in charge. And as a strength and conditioning coach, you have to realize that this is who I'm working for. This is the boss. So I better figure out how to get done what I want to get done. And that's the, the bad, you know, I see people, it's really funny. I see guys lose their jobs because they're trying to implement a West side program. And I'm like, like, what are you doing? You're trying to implement a powerlifting program in a sport like soccer that, that doesn't value maximum strength. And I always say though, if you want to fail in soccer, just make it look like American football. That's number one way to fail. As soon as it looks like American football, everybody's going to go like, Oh no, 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 I'm not doing that. It's almost like you have to be sneaky and you have to think, okay, I really need, I need really good lower body strength. How can I do this? Without somebody looking and thinking, oh, that's American football training or that's rugby or that's some other sport. And it's it's very much and I hate to say sneaky, but it is a little bit sneaky. You've got to figure out how do I make the things that I feel are incredibly important palatable to my audience. I think it's also the long term changes and the long-term solution to it as well isn't it because 
essentially when you when you're putting a program in like that you're trying to change a culture of a club or even a culture of a sport so to do that all of a sudden in one go and like you say put a west side program into a club is too much too big a change and without the without some of the coaches or the decision makers really understanding why right exactly that that's and that's the whole thing is that you have to look at it and think i always talk about the idea you have to be happy with small victories and you might come into a club like again if somebody brought me in next year and said okay we're going to put you in charge of strength and conditioning for this premier league team and we haven't had a very good strength and conditioning program i would go in there and be like okay where are we now where do we want to go and what are the essential steps to get us the first place as opposed to coming in and saying you know, we're going to blow this up. We're going to change everything. Because when you do that, you automatically get pushback. You get pushback from established players. You get pushback from management. It's then that's what I mean. It's not different. It, that's not just soccer. That's baseball. When I went to work for the Red Sox, one of the things that I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to come in here. It's like um, one of our old presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, used to say, walk softly and carry a big stick. You know what I mean? I'm going to walk softly and carry a big stick. You know, I'm going to. I'm going to try. I'm not going to go in here and I'm not going to bowl everybody over and start telling you, oh, you do everything's wrong. This is wrong. That's wrong. Like if you do that, you're destined to fail. I watched people do it in baseball. I watched guys get hired. So for us, spring training preseason starts in February. I saw guys get hired in February and fired by April on other major league teams because they were going to revolutionize training. And, and when you realize that, Revolution has the word revolt in it. <laughs> and what they ended up doing actually was they created a revolt as opposed to a revolution. And uh, and the players revolted. The players were like, this is bullshit. We're not doing this. And so you have to realize all the time that there's an audience. And generally, the more money that audience makes, the more delicately you have to handle the situation. And I wanted you to, to go into just to change uh, the subject a little bit Mike is to go on to the um, subject of speed training and it's it's a really commonly talked about subject in football and how we go about it all the different approaches that people take and people have very strong views on it what's your approach to it with the players that you've worked with well one of the things it's really interesting I think and especially now the way GPS is and we know how fast everybody ran one of the things I had an English premier player over here during the summer and I said, you have to sprint. And we were doing timed 10 yard dashes and, and he was a little bit taken aback by the idea of running timed 10 yard dashes. And I told him, I said, the, the problem, what has happened? There's, um, there's a really good article that, Oh my God, I have to find the title, but JB Marin just wrote a really good article. JB is a French, a researcher who's done tremendous work in speed and resisted speed and a lot of that stuff. And I'm going to see if I can actually find the, uh, the, the title of the article, but basically um, what he said is that um, the best players run fast, fast players get hurt. Therefore the best players shouldn't run fast. <laughs> and then he sort of obviously reversed that thought process and said, this is the logic that a lot of people are working under and so what we do is we protect the players during training and we let them get injured uh, 
during games. <laughs> and, yeah. and when you think about it, that's a lot of what happens. And so we look at it sort of from the opposite perspective in terms of you're going to look at these guys and say, okay, now we want to be the best players, obviously, are going to um, – sorry, I'm trying to see. I, I forget the name of the article. I just put it into one of my presentations too. Um, but uh, so you need to run fast because what they said, and this is what's really interesting. Let me see if I can pull this uh, article title up. But the best preventative exercise for sprinting or for muscle strains from sprinting is sprinting. And so when you start talking about speed training, but again, what happens is you end up in a situation um, where guys are doing too much sprinting and you have to look and think, okay, how much sprinting do I want this person to do? I think that's really the critical part. So for us, what we do with our athletes is we sprint two days a week and we do two to three, either time tens or flying tens. And we want hundred percent. We want you going for your best time because what we realize is that that the way that you get hurt is by trying to access that 100% speed when you are not physically prepared to access your 100% speed. So again, if it was me and I'm running Premier League, I'd be like, okay, two days a week, we're going to run sprints until the game start. And then if that guy, um, if he accesses that quantity during the course of the game, okay, it's called sprinting as a vaccine, sprinting a potential vaccine for hamstring injury, and it's sport performance and science reports is what it was in. And it was, uh, trying to see, I got to blow this up a little bit. Um, JB Moran was one of the authors. And Amended Guccia is another guy who's done a lot of hamstring studies. And JB is John Benoit Morin, but sprinting a potential vaccine for hamstring injury. And it, it just makes tremendous sense that the, the way to have people not get hurt is to have those people consistently running fast. And then the people that run fast during the game get one day off. You know, they, they don't have to run fast, say, let's just say you play on Sunday. Everybody who didn't access that 90% plus in the game has to do it on Monday. Everybody who did doesn't. That's where the monitoring stuff comes in really handy because now, you know, we've got our GPS numbers. We know how many top speed sprints this guy did, but we are literally going to be kind of vaccinating our own players against these hamstring injuries by knowing that we're consistently accessing that 100% speed. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll get that link from you, Mike, and I'll put it in the show notes so the guys can go and have a read of that. That sounds really good. Um, And I think that exposure to speed is something that is creeping into the game a little bit more now. So I think that is getting into it and getting into programs a little bit more, which is obviously good. Um, What what are some of the biggest pet peeves that you have with speed training? Do you see anything that you really want to get stuck into and change that, clubs do or the maybe even other sports do as well Uh, my biggest pet peeve in all honesty is that um is that people don't lift and it's amazing 
And the, the one thing, and I don't know, know, like, you know, I don't know anything about it. I went over and talked to Barcelona this year at their sports science symposium, but I didn't work with their team. Like, I don't know if a guy like Messi is a big weightlifter. What you see online kind of indicates that he's not. But the interesting thing about it is that people will use that as justification for not lifting. Messi doesn't lift weights. And I used to, we had that years ago. Wayne Gretzky was one of the great ice hockey players of all time. And people would always say, you know, Gretzky doesn't lift weights. And I'd look at a guy and I'd be like, you know, when you get 160 points in an NHL season, you don't have to lift weights either. I'll (laughs) let you do whatever you want. You know what I mean? It's like someone like, you know, when somebody, I always look at people and say, well, you know, a guy says, well, Messi doesn't lift. And I always look at guys and I think, how did you and Messi get in the same conversation? Yeah. You know, like where, where are the, where's the additional comparison between you and him, except for the fact that you think he doesn't weight lift. Are you somehow thinking that you have some other comparative to him? You know what I mean? Like there are these absurd analogies. And then, whereas I look at a guy like Salah, Salah comes from Roma. And if you read, they did an article in sports illustrated and he credits his, like his bursting on the scene with the work that he did with the guys at Roma. And he got on a really good strength and conditioning program with the guys at Roma. And suddenly you look at Salah. Now he's one of he's one of the premier forwards in the Premier League right now. Yeah. So I'd look at it and say, well, Salah does lift weights. So don't hold, you know, you can't you can't strictly find what people do is they find the support for what they want to believe or what they want to do. Instead of, you know, looking at it like a guy like Messi, he's a super outlier. Just for whatever, I mean, his, his skill level is off the charts. And, you know, the average guy who wants to be, you know, a half or a quarter of what a Messi is probably needs to be running sprints and lifting weights and, you know, be training as hard as he possibly can so that he can even be on the same field, much less in the same conversation. But guys will look at that. And that's the stuff that I think is still holding soccer back is people don't, they hold up the outlier example of the not as opposed to the other example and say, no, this guy does all these things and is also having success because it's hard to look at strength and conditioning as a process. And this is one of the things I talk to parents a lot. And I tell them every professional athlete in the world is now on a strength and conditioning program. It's not rare anymore. It's not limited to American football everywhere you go. Major league and the guys in major league baseball lift weights. They lift heavy weights. The guys in the NBA are lifting weights. The guys in the NHL lifting weights. The guys in the NFL, everybody's doing it. And if you're not doing it, you're not utilizing all the tools that are at your disposal for you to get whether whatever you want to be faster, more resilient, whatever whatever your goal is. Strength training is going to help that. I think that's the danger with these quotes coming out of top clubs and from players and and that as well, like the Sari comments or players coming out or people coming out and saying that Messi doesn't do this, Messi doesn't do that. But you're right. They're not Messi, are they? Like they've got to understand where they're at and what they actually need to work on to develop their own game. Right. Exactly. Like I look and it's funny because I'm a Liverpool fan and I look at Shaqiri and I think, I don't know if he lifts weights, but he certainly looks like he does. (laughs) You know, you look at his body and here's again, another guy, really good forward striker kind of player. And he certainly looks like he lifts weights. And, and I guess my point is that you can find an example to support your argument 
on both sides of the coin. But the current state of the art just tells you that this is the way that it is and that everybody's doing it and that this is the, the pendulum is absolutely positively swinging in the direction of training, not not training. But yet people are still kind of fighting that that fight, I guess. And with your work you've done in, in soccer or with players individually, like you said, about players coming over to see you over there from, from the Premier League as well, where, where have you focused in terms of reducing injury or um, even prehabbing players? What are, the, what are the focus areas? You mentioned the hamstrings and hips have been big targets. And what's your approach to that, mate? I mean, well, we do more probably with – it's very similar. The hip is very similar to what we do with the hockey players because when you look at sports hernia, sportsman's hernia, you know, femoral acetabular impingement, whatever you want to call it, they're, bo- they're common in sports with a lot of adduction, like striking a soccer ball or skating. So our hip programming is probably pretty similar from soccer to um, ice hockey. And – we just we put a little more energy into hip flexion, a little more energy into adduction patterns than we might with an athlete who doesn't have that big kind of uh, adduction emphasis to their sport. Hamstring, it's just sprinting. But as I said, the one thing, and this is what I said in those sports-specific clips, if you came in and watched our athletes train, I can guarantee you that you would be looking at body types and thinking, okay, I think that guy does this. You know, that tall guy is probably a basketball player. Um, that guy, you know, I don't know, maybe baseball. That girl over there, I'm not sure. Because you wouldn't see a whole lot different going on in terms of, because, every, you know, everybody's foam rolling, everybody's stretching, everybody's doing their dynamic warm-up, everybody's doing plyos, everybody's throwing medicine balls, everybody's running sprints. So I guess what we would do specifically with our, like if we get a, you know, a high-level athlete of any sport, is we get them doing the things that, that we think are the right things to do. Proper tissue preparation prior in terms of foam rolling. You know, we love, I still static stretch everybody. After I static stretch everybody, we're going to do whatever, mobility activation, whatever people want to call it. And then we're going to get up from the ground after our mobility activation stuff and we're going to do a dynamic warm-up. And when we're done with the dyna-mic warm-up, we're going to go and do speed work and plyometrics and run sprints. And then we're done with that. We're going to go and do our strength training. And again, in that strength training, there might be that 20% difference from sport to sport. But the reality is everybody will do a knee dominant exercise. Everybody will do a hip dominant exercise. Everybody will do some type of push. Everybody will do some type of pull. Everybody will do some type of core. Everybody will do some type of loaded explosive training. Everybody might not Olympic lift. Some guys might vertimax. Some guys might do, you know, hex bar, trap bar, jump. Some guys might kettlebell swing. But we're going to access all of that with everybody, really regardless of sport. And then we're going to sprinkle in, like I said, baseball. It's more, you know, we're treating the shoulder like we treat a soccer player or a hockey player's hip. You know, we're going to spend an extra, whatever, 10 minutes, a couple times a week on preventative exercises. But that's the stuff that everybody gets focused in on. No, this is the important stuff. It's like, no, it's not the important stuff. That's the end of the workout nice to do extra stuff versus the the meat and potatoes of the workout it's like we get very focused if we think of it from a food standpoint we get really focused on dessert and we miss out on the meal and you've got some people who it's like all they do is eat dessert 
That's how some people train. All they do is come in and do the little stuff, but they're not taking care of the big stuff. I want to make sure we take care of the big stuff and then finish up with the little stuff. Well, I think that's a really good analogy and way of thinking about it. It's a, it's, it is the big focus for a lot of people, but I think it's also probably somewhat to do with social media as well because that's what catches people's attention, isn't it? That's what um, people will switch on to. They see people squatting and hinging or the rest of it like you say you don't really know what sport they're going to be doing it might cross over into many but that's seen as like the the sport specific whereas it's like you just said it's it's the the bulk of the program which is the important bit yeah and it, it's literally like a, you know yeah i was like it's like a child you know you go back and you think you know you go to a restaurant and all of a sudden the kid's like oh they have ice cream you know what i mean it's like that's how people train and that's my problem is that, you know, one of the things I always talk about is the idea that we don't allow you to, we look at training as a recipe, not as a menu. And so a recipe has a series of steps and particular ingredients and everything has to go in, in the right order. It all has to be done exactly the right way. Whereas a menu, you get to walk in and look and think, oh, I can pick what I want. Our athletes never pick. We, we provide you with the recipe. And we've got a very standard recipe that we think works for the vast majority of our athletes. And then we may add some slight nuances based on that particular sport. But those are not going to be – they're not going to be big uh, big deals. And one thing I want to ask you, Mike, why I've got you is because we have a lot of young strength and conditioning coaches, I believe, in university or, or looking for jobs currently. What are some of your biggest tips to build relationships and create opportunities, but also create um, create relationships once they're in clubs? Um, well, I'm going to say this. This is this will probably get me in a little bit of trouble, but that's okay. I've got to the point where I'm old enough where I don't really care. Um, <laughs> one, you know, in your in your neck of the woods, get out to the pub with the guys and have a couple drinks. Because sometimes in strength and conditioning, we can be incredible bores to be around. In terms of, you know, oh, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't drink. I only drink water, you know, and eat clean food. And it's like, if you're going to hang with coaches, then, you know, get out and have a couple of beers with the guys. Be a real person. Don't be a dink. It, you know, it's like, it's amazing in the fitness world how many people don't realize that they're unbearable to be around. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's, it's very, it's amazingly common and you'll see it in situations where people are failing and they won't see they're failing or they won't see why they're failing. They'll know they're failing. They'll know, Hey, this is, I'm not succeeding. This isn't working out the way I, that I want it to work out. And that, and yet when you look at them, you think you don't get it, right? You know, the, the players don't like you. The coaches don't like you because you're freaking boring and no fun to be around. Like, I get it. You know, we're in the fitness world, but if you're like Mr. Clean Eater and, you know, never has a beer, that kind of guy, it, you don't tend to fit real well in the professional sports environment. You need to be, you know, I don't know what the term is in England, but you need to be a regular guy. You need yeah. to be, I always say to people, uh, I need them to be nice first, then I can make them smart. It's going to be really hard for me to make a smart person nice, but it won't be that hard for me to make a nice person smart. So I think that's the biggest thing. And going 
And, it, you know, like when you're trying to meet people, be reasonable. I'll have people like, it's amazing. You know, people write a letter you know, to me. Oh, I want to help you train your professional athletes. And I'm like, oh, thanks. Gee, no one volunteered for that job. I'm really glad you. <laughs> when, when you look at these kids and thinking what you really want to do is say, hey, I'd love to come, you know, and, and watch what you're doing. And then when you come and watch, watch, keep your mouth shut. Because, again, I'll have people come visit and the first thing they do is tell me what they do. Oh, we do this. We do this. We do this. And I kind of look at them sometimes and I want to say, I didn't come visit you. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't come to your gym. Yeah. You know, we do. I, you know, and I don't want to be rude. Like I don't care what you do. Cause that sounds terrible, but I really would hope that you'd come with a notebook and observe what we did and take notes and ask thoughtful questions instead of trying to impress me with how smart you are and how much, you know, cause again, you get that idea like, Oh my God, do I, cause what you have to realize, particularly in the professional sports world, is you got to look at someone and think, I'm going to have to spend all day, all season with this person. And, and that really is a personality-driven thing. And if you're not somebody, I hate to say it, somebody that's fun to be around, if you, that's going to make you tough to work with. And people are going to look at that and think, now I think I'd rather have Ben over there, who's hey, Ben's a really good guy. Ben will go out with me for a beer afterwards after a long day, and we can have some laughs, or I can have you know Mr. Smarty Pants over here, who's got the answer to everything, and you know he's going to bring his food and Tupperware and go immediately home and you know drink two liters of water. It's like, um, you know, who do you want? I know who I want. <laughs> yeah, I think that when you're talking about young coaches, and that's really hard. Some people really struggle with that concept. But I think that it's very, very important to realize that it is a relationship business. It's relationships with the players. It's relationship with the other people you work with. That sometimes the real smart people will always be frustrated and always be thinking, I'm so much smarter than so-and-so, and I work so much harder, and I've read so many more books. And I did a presentation this uh, uh, summer, and one of the books that I had in the, uh, the presentation was called The No Asshole Rule. And I said, but what you should think about is maybe you're an asshole and nobody likes you. It's like, <laughs> and that's a hard thing for people. It's hard to look and think, wow, am I not fun to be around? And if you're finding that, gee, this, I'm not having the opportunities that I feel like I should be getting, you need to be introspective about that and think, gee, am I not, am I not fun to be around? And, and if you're not, Maybe you should work on trying to be. I think it's really hard for young people to get honest feedback to. I'm really good, really good and really bad with our young coaches in terms of I'll be really honest. I start out when we have our intern meeting, I tell them all the stuff. It's like, you know, wear clothes that fit, you know, don't be the Tupperware guy, you know, make sure you brush your teeth. It's like we go right through it from start to finish in terms of you're going to realize it if you want to, you know, I'll get the intern all the time who follows me around. And I'm like, do not follow me around. If you want to drive me crazy, follow me around. Every time I turn around, you're right behind me. And I still had interns after I tell that people that, that I have to be like, I said, stop. Stop following me. And you know, some will follow the athletes around. And I said, some of the athletes feel like they're in a fish tank. Because, you know, these kids are doing the internship and they just, they, they, they don't even understand personal space. So I guess 
Um, and I'm giving you a really long answer because you hit one of my hot button thought processes here. But <laughs> everybody who's going into coaching should realize should read How to Win Friends and Influence People, and everybody should read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and everybody should read um, Never Eat Alone because those are all really important, and they have nothing to do. Like it's amazing how many people can quote you know super training to you, and you know and tell you you know chapter and verse of all these foolish books about strength and conditioning or what they just read on T nation or whatever it is, but they have no people skills really work on your people skills and make sure that your people skills match your fitness slash strength and conditioning skills. And that you're really good. When I went to work for the Red Sox every morning, I read the media guide every single morning that I got up for a half hour and I memorized players names and information about players all the way down into the minor leagues I memorized the names of all, like we had a hundred and some odd coaches because there's so many levels of baseball. You know, there's like five, you know, there's triple A, double A, single A, you know, instructional league. I read the bios of the equipment guys. I read the bios of the people that ran the facilities because every time I met someone, I wanted to be able to remember their name and know something about them so that I could have a conversation with them. And it was amazing how much that helped me because guys thought, wow, this guy, he doesn't just know the top 40 guys. He doesn't just know the guys that are on the major league roster. He knows the equipment guy's names. He knows the guy, you know, that running the facility. I went in and tried to make sure I met the guys that were cooking the food behind the line. You have to realize, I mean, this is a people game. And I don't care, you know, whatever. It's, this is, the, you know, football podcast. But um, whether it's soccer or whether it's rugby or whether it's whatever, it's a people game. The game is played by people, coached by people, supported by people, and you need to have really good people skills if you want to be successful. Mike, I could talk to you about all this sort of stuff all day, and I think that that topic is is really, really important for coaches to hear, especially from a coach that's so experienced like yourself, so I really appreciate going into all that, and I... I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you're really busy, so I really appreciate you coming on. Um, is there anywhere where the guys can reach out to you or, or the, um, any resources that you've got available at the moment? The biggest resource for me right now is strengthcoach.com. That's where I'm devoting most of my kind of online energy. It's a really good community. It's, it's a dollar to join for the first couple of days, and then it's $14.95 a month, which isn't a lot to basically have access to a lot of really good coaches, get all your questions answered. But that's to me, that's the best place for people to go if they just want to learn because we're constantly just batting ideas around, talking about things, answering questions. I try to, and I don't necessarily live up to it, but I, I try to answer everybody's question every day and we usually get to it. I recommend that. I've seen the, the quality of information that's on that website. So I do recommend the guys to go and check that out. But Mike, thanks again for coming on. I really do appreciate it. And it was great speaking to you and I hope to speak to you again in the future. Let me know. I love doing these so we can do another one. Thanks, Mike. Take care. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Big thanks to Mike for coming on the episode. He was someone that I never thought I'd be able to get on the podcast, to be honest, and he was really receptive to recording the show, and I thought he was really open with his views, and I hope you took loads from it, because I certainly did. I think some of the biggest things for me were um, where he said about 
what about if we always did um, what about if what we always did was wrong so it's questioning the norm of what other coaches do and also how he spoke about having coaches that haven't been involved in that sport having a look from the outside so him looking at, at football or soccer from the outside and bringing his views and philosophies into the game and the way he prepares players I thought they were really good views and opinions and ways of thinking about things you can follow Mike if you don't do already he's on Twitter at mboyle1959 and he's also got the other page which is linked into his gym which is at bodybyboyle I just want to say a massive thank you to all the coaches that came out to our network meeting. So last Friday was our network meeting at Notts County. Jordan Tyra uh, did a great job in hosting the meeting, set everything up. So big thank you to Jordan for sorting everything out. But thanks to all the coaches that came out. We had over 20 coaches at the meeting again and loads of coaches really open-minded some great discussions some of the main stuff we spoke about was how you fit strength training into the week um, also how we expose players to speed work and then also what job roles even mean now so the amount of job titles that we hear knocking around what these roles actually mean and what the titles actually mean and what what we should be doing within our roles and what we're allowed to do within our roles as well so it was a, a top top meeting Johnny Wilson presented as well there was a top presentation from Johnny his presentation is going to be available on our community very soon when it gets uploaded. It was a great presentation on rehabilitation. Um, he tested some people's views on certain things. There was things we agreed on and disagreed on. But like always, Johnny was really open and spoke about all his different experiences, which is amazing to hear. We are going to be confirming some future meetings soon. We're just in the process of getting some meetings sorted out. So keep an eye on the social media. They're also going to go on the website when they're confirmed and then you can book your place onto those meetings. Please, as ever, subscribe and, and share the show. Share it on Instagram. Put it on your story. Um, share it with friends. Retweet it. Tag people in on Twitter, on Facebook. Send it out on email. However you can send it and share the show. Really appreciate it. And then as ever, please take two minutes out of your day. I know it can be a pain, but head over to iTunes, leave us a review because it does help to boost us and keep and keep these guests like Mike coming onto the show as well. So massive thank you again for listening and we'll speak to you again next week.